Well, Pastor Patrick Hines here. Let's press on in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. And Paul, picking up the argument here, says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Now, he's being a little bit sarcastic here. He's kind of speaking of them um, as many of them thought they were. We're we're the light to the world. We're the ones that have the law. We know the law. And they had misunderstood that having the law and knowing it um, is not how you could be made right with God. You had to do it. You had to actually keep it, which, of course, not only did they not do, um, but no one uh, since Adam fell into sin is able to keep God's law to the satisfaction of the holiness of God. Now, people can be, generally speaking, morally upright, blameless, like Zacharias and Elizabeth are described that way. Job is described that way. Uh, Noah, in the book of Genesis, and Genesis 6, is described as a, a godly man, a righteous man, a just man. And so there is a general moral uprightness among God's people in that they love God's law and they do keep God's commandments to some degree. They don't just live in flagrant disobedience to it. But when it comes to being justified before God, when it comes to being right with God, uh, there's nobody that keeps the law in that sense because that requires perfect obedience. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, therefore you shall be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But here he's saying, look back at verse 17, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. And the Jewish people thought, well, we've got the law, those Gentile dogs, they don't have it. We know what what God's law is. We at least try to keep it, so we're right with God. So they boasted, we have the law, we're God's chosen people, We're we're the ones that have his special revelation. God didn't give this to other nations, so we are the ones that know God. We know his will, verse 18. We approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. We're confident. We're the guides to the blind. We're a light to those who are in darkness. We're the teachers of the world. We're the teachers of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. And then he says in verse 21, pointing out they didn't understand the law, verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You know what he sounds like? He sounds like Ray Comfort (laughs) doing one of his evangelistic things, uh, asking people, have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever committed adultery in your heart? Have you ever lusted after someone in your heart? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that's the same as in God's sight, that is breaking that commandment. Okay, so yeah, certainly the physical act of adultery would be more heinous than simply a, a lustful thought. But what God's law requires of us is not merely outward conformity, but inward conformity of thought, word, deed, motive, imagination. We're not allowed uh, to commit adultery in our minds. We are not allowed to steal at all from anybody for any reason. We're not allowed to be reckless with our money. We're, We're to do everything we can in our power to further our own and our neighbor's estate. Okay, so he's telling the the Jews here, uh, you guys didn't keep the law either. Don't you teach yourself? Not commit adultery? Don't you who abhor idols, you you guys who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boasts in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And then he he quotes uh, from the Old Testament there. I believe that's a a passage from uh, Isaiah. Let me pull up the thing here. Um, He cites there uh, the passage. in verse 20, 
uh, or four, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. See, God's name was supposed to be held up and honored among the Gentiles because of the Jews, but it wasn't. It was blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Jewish people uh, who did not keep it. And they were supposed to be a light to the nations around them, but they weren't. Very often, more often than not, they found themselves wanting to be like their pagan neighbors rather than being distinct as the people of God. And so it was a real tragic thing. Um, let's see. Uh, where is that? Um, Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah 52, verse 5. Um, yeah, my name is blasphemed continually because of my people disobeying me. So God is telling the Jews here through the Apostle Paul and the Word of God in Romans here, um, you all blaspheme the name of, of God just like the, the Gentiles did, but you did it even more directly because you had the law and you still didn't keep it. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. That's Isaiah 52 verse 5, I believe. Yeah, Isaiah 52 5. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And so they they could have been proud and even boasted in, circum, in their circumcision if they kept all of God's law, but they didn't do that. They were breakers of the law, and so it was almost like um, by, by breaking it, and since they were relying on their obedience to it, um, their circumcision became like being uncircumcised. They, they themselves were just as bad as the Gentiles, like being uncircumcised like a Gentile because they didn't keep the law that they thought they were keeping. They made their boast in the law. Their boast was not in the mercy and grace of God or the promise God made Abraham. They really thought that they were keeping the law. And God is pointing out to them, you didn't keep it. And that's why he's going to go on in the book of Romans here to explain that's why we have to be justified by someone else's righteousness, not our own. He says in verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Basically pointing out to them that circumcision was kind of wasted on them as a sign because they didn't understand what it pointed to. Circumcision was a sign of regeneration, of their need uh, for uh, circumcision of the heart. Uh, that's what circumcision was supposed to point out to them, and it says that in, in Deuteronomy, in Jeremiah 4, verse 4, Deuteronomy 10, 16, I believe it is, 10, 16. Yeah, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Okay, so that was uh, um, something they did not understand, the importance of circumcision. They thought it was just just one other box they needed to check off in order, along with keeping the commandments, the dietary laws, to be right with God. And so therefore their circumcision became like uncircumcision because they didn't understand circumcision was a sign of God's covenant of grace. Uh, it was not just one more thing you checked off of a list in order to get into heaven. In verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? So if you kept the law perfectly, you can go to heaven that way. Of course, there's nobody anywhere that does that. But the Jewish people, their biggest problem, and when Paul wrote this, is they really thought that they could be right with God by keeping the law. Is showing simply that they didn't understand what it actually required of them, not merely outward conformity, but inward as well. The law of God does not allow for failure to conform to it in every way possible. It doesn't allow for failure of any kind. Uh, the law requires man to be perfect in every way, perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. 
And there is no one anywhere that does that. And that's why we have to be justified solely, completely, and only by faith alone and Christ alone, because only Christ's righteousness has the merit that is needed to meet the requirement of God's law, of God's holiness. In verse 28 and 29, key verses, uh, Romans 2, 28 and 29 are key verses uh, when it comes to understanding covenant theology. Listen to this carefully, verse 28. He is not a Jew who was one outwardly. Doesn't matter if you can trace your lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. It's not just one other box that you check off in order to get into heaven or anything like that. But he is a Jew who was one inwardly. What, what does that mean? That means that whether you're ethnically Jewish or ethnically a Gentile like me, if you believe in Jesus alone as your Savior and you're not trusting in your works and not trusting in anything that you do to get you into heaven, you are a spiritual Jew. Who are the true people of God? Who is the true Israel of God today? Who are the true Jews today? Anyone, Jew or Gentile, that believes in Jesus Christ. We are the children of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. So I, I am an inward, inwardly a Jew because I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. Circumcision was always intended to signify a changed heart, regeneration, the new birth, just like just like baptism does today. Okay, and that's one of the reasons that uh, we we baptize our children, we baptize babies, uh, is because by divine command, circumcision, the sign of heart circumcision of regeneration, was by divine command given to babies for a couple thousand years uh, before uh, the coming of Christ, um, after from the time of Abraham all the way to the time of Jesus. Now, we don't see any incongruity there at all, um, because a sign of personal justification, salvation, regeneration, circumcision was given to babies. It makes sense that in the New Covenant era, which is more inclusive, not less inclusive, um, that we would uh, bring whole households into the church. And that's, that, of course, is exactly what you see in, um, in the book of Acts anyway. But Paul is the ultimate covenant theologian. He sees the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. Uh, fulfilled every time anyone, Jew or Gentile, becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, it goes on in Romans 3 and Romans 4 um, that the promise that God made Abraham, um, that uh, his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the heavens, that is all of the people of God, Jew or Gentile, who believe the gospel. So we are the Israel of God. We are the true Jews. We, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, so to summarize real quick here, Romans 1 is really God's indictment against the Gentile nations for how sinful they were, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And even though they didn't have the written law of God, they had God's revelation of his own um, divine attributes and power and wisdom in creation itself, but it was suppressed in unrighteousness. But then he turns his attention to the Jews and says, you guys didn't do any better than the Gentiles. You're just as sinful as they are. Okay, and then he's going to go on in Romans 3 and following to explain God's love for both groups and anyone from either group, Jew or Gentile, that repents and trusts in the gospel, trusts in the Lord Jesus and his righteousness and his cross to save them will be saved and be given the gift of eternal life. So that's Romans 2, 17 through 29. That ends chapter 2, and we'll pick it up uh, next time. Thank you for watching or for listening.